publishing has its own risks where you are hoping that the game kind of grows upon people and they start being addicted to that you know publishing revolves around addiction and and platform revolves around publishers so that is where the dependency directly falls upon the publishers yes it kind of mitigates the risk when you have literally uh, you know a buffet full of games on your platform so kind of you are unfortunately uh, you know most of the publishers that india thrives on today are non indian publishers right so it is also a, a larger challenge to kind of deal with uh, you know international entities to make sure that you still get on the right side of the licensing and everything to get get a game on board and start organizing tournaments for that Hello and welcome to another episode of the Startup Operator podcast. It's me Roshan Karyappa. If you're new here, we curate conversations with founders, operators and investors in the Indian startup ecosystem. So learn the nuances of sales, product, marketing, engineering, what have you to really know how to build and scale that hyper growth startup. On this episode, we speak to Soham Thakur, who is the founder of Gamergy. Gamergy is India's largest online esports gaming platform. with over 4 million users and they conduct about 400 tournaments or so every day i'd speak to soham about growth acquisition monetization and plenty of other things related to the gaming sector including the new regulation that's been mooted as well soham is an old hand he's been an entrepreneur for over 10 years now and he's had a couple of other ventures as well we speak about some of the lessons he's learned along the way and you know how to build a, a sustainable business as well This was a fun conversation and uh, I hope you like it but before we dive in if you are a returning visitor don't forget to rate and review us on your favorite platforms it really helps more people discover us well without further ado here is Soham of Gamergy Hey Soham welcome to the Startup Operator podcast thank you so much for making the time Of course thank you so much uh, Roshan for having me here Yeah I've been really curious uh, about the space uh, like I mentioned I know nothing about gaming uh, other than the fact that about 10 or 12 years back I tried to organize a session in the Nascom product conclave on gaming and uh, man it was such a fight to even find people uh, invested in the space right i mean who are doing something about it uh, of course that has changed a great deal over the last uh, 10 years i mean we've seen gaming and especially mobile gaming and so on explode over the last 2 3 years especially right i mean so i'm really curious uh, to learn more about this space it seems very very interesting but before that i mean i'd like to take a step back and talk about your journey itself you've been a founder for a good number of years now almost a decade or more i should say and you've been in different spaces as well you've been in the uh, food and beverage space and then now in gaming if you were to sort of abstract yourself out of this circumstance and and look at the last 10 years in perspective what are some two or three lessons you've learned from this uh, founding journey well uh, multiple uh, to be very honest uh, you know starting from the initial days when i just moved back from the states here and and was literally trying to understand uh, You know, how to get things started you know how does a company get formed literally it was those one on ones that uh, that had to be understood and uh, not only from a, a statutory purposes but also from a second like how to find the right set of people how to develop a team how to find the right co-founder what industry how to how to make the right you know uh, how to fill the right gap in the industry if it's a product based industry how to make the most you know valuable product uh, how to test the market how to understand your customer so many things that went into um, you know obviously experience taught me a lot uh, uh, you know rather than just uh, you know literally reading it out of the books but to be honest um, the primary learnings that i got were 
people skills. Uh, you know, honestly, it's something like how you actually manage and work a team. I mean, yes, before this, I was employed, uh, you know, in the tech space, but that's a very different structure where you are working under an umbrella where you are literally a very small fish of a big pond and you are exactly given your do's and don'ts and, and you work in a very, uh, so to say, a, a dedicated structure, curated environment versus as a as a startup founder, you are, here you are in the ocean figuring out where where everything is going to take you. And, and that's where having a good team and a right set of people with me made a lot of difference and something that I... I'm still learning how to manage the right set of people in the right set of manner, but it's something that uh, you know I learned over these years. Yeah. So one of the founders uh, uh, that I spoke to told me that you know starting up is very simple. You get the right people together and you enable them, and that's it. More get out of the way. But that is uh, you know simple as they say is not easy, and that is the hardest lesson perhaps, right? Absolutely. Uh, what What are some of the hardest lessons you've learned? I mean, what was really really tough? You know, because I I suppose you know all I of us the, have the, the, certain things that is hard for us. I think the hardest lesson that I learned you never learned. Enough when you are in a startup which is doing well. You start learning more and more when in startups that don't do well, right? So before the FNB and Gamergy, of course, I, I ran another startup which was like an online service marketplace. And what I realized and the biggest learning I got from there was, you know, not everything that works in the West is going to work here. And not everything works as you deem or you imagine it to. You know, sometimes, a lot of times, we founders, what the mistake we make is we imagine the customer as the near and dear ones that we know but india obviously as a market is a very diverse space so the biggest challenge or so to say the mistake that i made was not understanding the right customer mind space uh, you know not understanding the customer needs you know, sometimes you feel like having you know making golden rims is the best way out but are people really going to put golden rims on your cars that is something that you know you need to understand your customer behavior and and their needs it's something that uh, you know i learned it the hard way and fortunately now i did yeah no i think finding those first 5 10 maybe 50 unaffiliated users slash customers right who are happy about your product and not just happy i mean who are willing to pay for your product is just so critical in order for you to battle test uh, the idea and the hypothesis all right let's talk about gaming right i mean why did you decide to start up in this space you know i mean uh, aside from the fact that uh, of course i mean I, I suppose you're a an avid gamer yourself right what about the market appeal to you See, I'm being an avid gamer was just the start. You know, having passion towards a particular industry or a particular you know, space is something which which is fair. But other than that, the biggest gap that I realized and also foresee, and I also could foresee that gaming, the way, the pace at which it was picking up, obviously the entire telecom revolution uh, with data speeds, the entire shift towards mobile, the accessibility of the games, the kind of publishers that were stepping in the Indian market and looking at it very seriously to promote the entire gaming infrastructure is something that I started studying. Uh, this was towards late 17, early 18 is when I started to kind of really take this space as seriously as it was. And with that, I realized that there were, in, especially in the esports side, there was nothing that was catering to aspiring gamers. Like how you look at any other conventional sport, you will always have a ladder that reaches up to the top, right? If you are a cricketer, for example, you start playing literally under your building and then do in, in, in local community tournaments and then it, it kind of journey goes up to all the way up to becoming a professional. That entire pathway was not existent for gaming or esports and ideally speaking that is where it, it drove me towards starting an esports platform which catered to 
the millions and millions of people who, who really sit anywhere and everywhere on their mobile devices and play. You will see people sitting outside coffee shops or in, outside colleges or literally in the comfort of their bedrooms gaming. And I started, I thought that, uh, you know, having a cater and provide an tournament level experience literally in their bedrooms was something that I wanted to create. So you chose to be a platform instead of a publisher. You know, I think intuitively a lot of us are aware of the challenges of being a publisher, right? I mean, surely it's uh, like a dogfight of a market there, right? Uh, the shelf life uh, for games is really, really low. And, uh, you know, finding users, more importantly, retaining users, and even more importantly, earning any money at all from those users is a huge challenge. What are some challenges uh, of running a platform? Well, few different challenges, right? A platform has its dependencies. Uh, has As the publishing has its own risks, where you are hoping that the game kind of grows upon people and they start being addicted to that. You know, publishing revolves around addiction and and platform revolves around publishers. So that is where the dependency directly falls upon the publishers. Yes, it kind of mitigates the risk when you have literally uh, you know, a buffet full of games on your platform. So kind of you are you are diversifying the risk there. But then again, when you run a platform, there is a lot of dependency on the publisher, the games, uh, the popularity of the games, the kind of technical access, the kind of uh, intellectual as well as technical integrations that the publishers are willing to do with you. So a lot of it depends on that. And then unfortunately, uh, you know, most of the publishers that India thrives on today are non-Indian publishers, right? So it is also a, a larger challenge to kind of deal with, uh, you know, international entities to make sure that you still get on the right side of the licensing and everything to get, get a game on board and start organizing tournaments for that. So that those are those are certain challenges that a platform does face. And then like, like any other space, it, it also has risk versus rewards so fortunately it paid off right so with that background let's talk about gamergy right uh, as i understand it's an esports platform and uh, the niche that you operate in is sort of semi-professional or am- amateur gamers as such right so can you talk to us a little more about how you've grown over the last uh, two three years so where we started probably um, six to seven months before covid we started around october 2019 and uh, the thing with that was that we started with only the first two games which are popular in the country. We started with PUBG, which was obviously existing back then, and Clash Royale. These were the first two games we started with. And then started hosting tournaments. Then obviously, uh, you know, as the industry started to grow, and then COVID obviously played a huge part in gaming becoming a mainstream form of entertainment in, in those unfortunate uh, 12 to 18 months that we all suffered throughout the globe. We saw a lot of organic traction grow. I mean, literally... Uh, in February 2020, we were sitting at 100,000 people on the platform. Come, you know, roughly about August, we're sitting at a million people on the platform. So that is that is the kind of uh, traction boost that we that we saw. And with that, uh, obviously, there was a lot of conviction that also started building in the investment space. By Delhi, uh, the venture capitals, even even angel investors, they started believing in gaming as the next industry. And as and as we stand today, we 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 are hosting more than six and a half million people on the platform, catering to 24 games, uh, which we host tournaments for. Um, and so it's been a it's been a, a, a good journey with a lot of learning curves, uh, with a lot of iterations uh, as well on the platform during COVID times, post COVID times, how to kind of, uh, you know, face those challenges, uh, you know, IP bans, like the likes of PUBG is being banned a couple of times already. So there's, it's been a, it's been a, a lot of learning and a roller coaster ride and fortunately we have sailed across right 
So what goes into hosting a tournament? I understand that you host uh, something like 400 uh, tournaments a day uh, or perhaps more. And you mentioned, you know, you have 20 plus titles and so on, right? And six and a half million users, which is amazing, right? So what goes into hosting one of these tournaments? Well, ideally, uh, what there are a couple of things that go into it. Uh, one is one when a tournament or ideally what we call as scrims, which are like daily small tournaments that we host on our platform. When we host them, it is they are just directly are live on the platform itself, and then the users can go and participate in those tournaments. Uh, once they participate in that tournament, automatically before the time of the tournament, they are they are provided with a unique link ID and a password, which they use to join the game on the respective publisher's platform. Once they play the game there, we fetch the data back on our platform and we declare the winners. So that's how ideally a process of a user journey kind of works, out. and then they get. They what they where they get, do is they get gratified on our platform using virtual currency, which they can re- redeem for for our brand partner vouchers. So that's how the whole user journey of a tournament works. Uh, and then obviously they can keep building their stats. They can throw multiple challenges to other people, improvise upon their levels, check their check their performances on the past tournaments, and kind of improvise upon that. So it's it's a it gives them a good platform for them to not only be gratified but also learn and kind of evolve and 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 hopefully uh, you know get scouted and become a professional game right and i would assume that you'll have like a pot as such right everyone kind of contributes to that and maybe you have a corporate sponsor who will kind of add to that pot perhaps and uh, the no, winner gets we, uh, we don't we don't work on uh, on the pot or the rmg structure we work ideally as a subscription based platform. So you subscribe on a platform, you you get certain virtual tokens which you can use, like similar to how we do it in an arcade. You go, you uh, you buy like a a monthly pass or a weekly pass, or you can also choose game-wise passes, and then you can pay a number of tournaments using those those passes for it. And then as you start winning in those tournaments, you can accumulate points which you can redeem from uh, from other rewards. Can you give us a basic understanding of the economics that uh, work? I mean, like you know, you have X number of people subscribing, and then you will perhaps give out some amount of uh, you know tournament prices and so on. So, how does that economics work? So, the way the economics works is that when you subscribe for a particular platform, the you are allocated a certain number of games that you can play, or you can you can subscribe on a higher package where you can play n number of games. Now, essentially. The duration of a game completely depends. It varies from game to game. So the way the economics works is that we calculate into perception that what is the average number of games a user plays on a daily basis with a subscribed user, and then versus the, obviously the price pool, the, the point distribution along with the rewards too. They are calculated accordingly so that obviously the net comes out to be so that is that is how the whole uh, algorithm also runs. Uh, depending on the filling ratios. automatically the the reward ratios get readjusted and so does the redeeming ratio gets readjusted so at the end the conversion factor from coins into the actual uh, voucher value kind of kind of stays into gross margin right right you know you mentioned 6 and 1/2 million users right i mean what changes when you go from 100k to a million to 4 million and now 6 and 1/2 million besides uh, the right, server there's a lot of things <laughs> <laughs> but initially when we started we started as a manual platform Literally, we'd have two, three guys sitting there hosting the tournament. You know, checking whether the people have registered are the ones playing. Then you start working on developing tools and technology towards it. Like, I mean, you start. You have to start building AI. You have to start building softwares which automatically analyze those uh, for you. 
and then uh, you know you have to reduce your manual dependency whether it be from a tournament organization standpoint or whether it be also from a customer care standpoint you have to keep iterating those things uh, and that's where we started developing the technological solutions for the same and that's how we uh, you know obviously from 100k users where you know you are hosting probably 20 30 games a day to 6 and 1/2 million people where you have to host more than 500 tournaments a day it's it requires a, a completely evolution in in technology or a comp- that that a company has to go right um and can you take us through some of the levers in terms of growth and customer acquisition i mean uh, i understand digital would be like a a big channel for you right absolutely digital is one of it yes uh, we also work very closely with uh, the influencer network ideally in the gaming influencer network we also work very closely with college ambassadors so we also have campus ambassadors across uh, more than 500 plus colleges now across the country where we popularize our tournament our brand using the offline network as well and then cross tournament branding kind of takes place so we work with a lot of tournament organizers which ideally host the pro leagues also develop a lot of content so we work with them as well uh, so it's a mix of uh, obviously direct digital marketing plus some innovative uh, marketing campaigns that we run online and offline now i mentioned earlier that you know it's really tough to compete in the gaming space right i mean there's just so many uh, brands vying for your attention how do you think about building something like a long lasting moat of sorts right i mean how do you differentiate yourself uh, from the other players in the market as such so see when it comes to core esports fortunately the the market is still very young and core evolving you know i mean the rng space the fantasy the poker the rummy spaces they have been there existing for quite some time now but when you talk about core esports when you talk about uh, you know title direct title based gaming or or uh, you know direct first person gaming where you are actually uh, you know playing actively is is something which is still growing uh, you know it's still in its very very early stages uh, fortunately so we we have had that so to say a first or a second movers advantage back in the day and then when you can only grow your moat as you start advertising the process if you if you are still heavily dependent on just the user base it's it's not going to be scalable so to build technology and tools along with it which which help you scale faster is is something where a company can create it you know just having users under your belt is just not going to be enough going now mm i know that you mentioned you know in terms of organizing tournaments and automating some of that bit but uh, you, could you give us a little more of a deeper perspective into some of the tools and technologies that you've had to build as you've scaled uh well giving you a, a sim- smaller example like for example when you host the tournament there you know there are 100 people who have registered for example on a tournament and then there are you know then there is an id and a password which is floated to join that particular there's more likely and not that get circulated to your friend if you are sitting right literally next to your friend he's going to know about it and he's going to also try and enter that game directly on the publisher's page now to build a tool which automatically kicks that person who is not registered out and only allow the registered users to play is something which cannot be done manually you know every time someone cannot be sitting and literally matching a sheet with with the people saying that okay these are the exact number of people and these are the people registered or not registered right so things just giving a small example there has to be a software created which automatically manages that for you which does the direct processing with your system and maps it out on the publisher's site so that you know you have that second being said also fetching the results directly you know you again those gone are the days when you 
actually had people uploading screenshot and then someone manually grazing them through and then declaring the winner, right? On are those days. Let's start using technology to automatize that. So these are small examples of the kind of tools that need to be developed to automatize the entire process. What is your experience of working with these publishers, right? I mean, uh, uh, of course, you know, with six and a half million users, you have some leverage. But let's say, you know, in the initial stages, what uh, what were those interactions like? And uh, yeah, could you also give us a sense of, how, you know, what their priorities are and how to work with them? So to work with them, there are very simple things. First, you need to be transparent with them, adhere to their guidelines. Uh, never violate the IP policies. See, indirectly, you are working with them to also popularize their game and provide more traction for their game as well, right? So it is it is kind of a, a win-win situation for both the publisher and the platform. A platform drives user to the game, whereas the game provides the backbone to a for a platform to exist. It's been a smoother ride. I mean, we have never faced any uh, sort of challenges, uh, you know, in speaking with the publishers yeah especially when you talk about international publishers it might take a little longer for the approval processes and all of them to come through especially during the initial days because it's very hard to kind of maneuver and get to the right person in a larger organization to right, get the right set of licenses etc etc but as obviously now we stand as a little more traction oriented platform those those relations have been built and fortunately now it's easier for us to onboard newer games on Right. You started expanding globally as well, right? I mean, you started... Yeah, we just recently launched in UAE and Saudi Arabia. Yeah. So what are you doing differently there versus uh, here in India? I mean, uh, uh, again, I mean, you're digital first, but... uh, We are still in the early days of those markets. Still understanding the user behavior, still understanding the the customer base. The games that are popular here are not necessarily the same games that are popular there. So it's it's still understanding the market that is taking place. Though we have we have managed to start seeing a good amount of traction there, especially in the initial days, we have reached about thirty five tournaments a day in UAE and Saudi combined. But that that is again a learning curve that is going on. We're still building the partnerships with the influencers, still uh, figuring out the right mediums of marketing. So it's 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 like uh, when you expand geographically. It's very important, and like I mentioned earlier, I don't want to make the same mistake by not understanding my consumer behavior not understanding my consumer needs. So it's it's very critical for us to understand that before we go all out on the marketing spends there. So that is that is something where we are at today. How do you manage to stay close to the user and customer, you know, as as you expand? Because you could sometimes look at the six and a half million number as just digits on a screen. But then how do you really understand uh, uh, your users? I mean, do you have uh, time slots in the day when you talk to people? Absolutely. Absolutely. I talk to minimum 50 users a week, minimum, since day one. Since day one, I make sure, you know, and, and obviously I don't I don't talk as a myself, I talk as a representative of the company, but I just, you know, do uh, calls. Also, uh, especially I, 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 if I find some time, I do listen to some distress calls as well to the CRM, you know, to make sure that I understand what their real pain points are, whether it's, uh, you know, not getting to join, whether it is too many or too little games that that are offered, those are learnings where, and the only way to say closest to your customer is to directly interact with them. I mean, yes, the data points are good, you can see the numbers and everything, but to really understand your consumer, it's, it's best to directly face them head on. And that's, that's what I have been practicing so far. It's always necessary to keep looking at the numbers and see what what those also speak. But gone are the days where you can just make a gut feel call. 
on your business. You have to rely on data somewhere. No, for sure. I think you have to back your data with some qualitative conversations as well, right? I mean, we sort of tend to overestimate uh, dashboards and reports and, and whatnot. But uh, yeah, having those 50 conversations might give you a lot more perspective uh, and help you understand the nuances. Okay. Now, gaming is one of those, you know, spaces where, you know, the regulation has been slightly ambiguous, right? You had a bunch of things happen over the last couple of years in terms of bans and whatnot. But uh, Ministry of Electronics and IT has come out yesterday uh, with a draft regulation, right? I I'm sure that you might have had a quick look at it. Yeah, uh, would you want to talk to us about uh, a few of the features and so on? So, uh, see, the first draft that has come out is still focusing on customer validation, customer privacy. The, the core issues are still to be addressed. Uh, you know, the do's and don'ts are still to be kind of drafted and laid out. I think uh, still the ministry is focused on the more developed, so to say, segments of the industry. Where, where ideally, you know, the, the real money or the pseudo betting space is where it is. It's, it's more focused on rather than a non-RMG based platform or ideally a, a, a gaming tournament platform versus, you know, a, like I said, a poker rummy fantasy platform. So that is, it's a, it's definitely a very positive move that the government is taking it seriously and actually making steps towards regularizing a lot of things in the industry, in gaming in general. But only time will tell if whatever the, the regulations are put forth are, are towards the growth or kind of hindering it somewhere you know keeping our fingers crossed and hoping for the best yeah but uh yeah I, th I think the government has also acknowledged that you know there's a huge market potential in this space and so they want to uh, do this regulation in a very proactive way and from a founder perspective i think ambiguity sucks right i mean nobody wants that i mean as long as you define the black and white i mean you can operate no, it's, uh, it's always, reasonably it's always it's always best to have black and white uh, living in the gray space is is always dangerous i'm glad that at least uh you know, we are hoping in the next probably 12 to 18 months, we'll have a lot of regulations that kind of define the industry and, and also a lot of government initiatives, hopefully, which kind of boost the industry uh, as, a, as a whole. Right. So having executed in the space over the last three or four years, lived and breathed it, what are some nuances of executing in the gaming space, you know, for uh, someone who wants to start up in the domain, right? What are those practitioners secrets that you have learned uh, that comes from hard knuckles execution? I mean, there are no, there, honestly, there are no, there are no secrets, right? It's, it's like any other, it is exactly like any other industry. It requires you to find a gap. It requires you to develop a good product. It requires you to understand your customer. It requires you to build a good team. It requires you to provide good service day in and day out, uh, build longer lasting products, uh, you know, keep your costs under control. I mean, those are the basic things. The most important thing uh, about the gaming space is decide which even gaming as an industry is you. There are a lot of subsects of it. It's like saying like, I want to join sports industry, but then what are you going to do? Are you going to be working in broadcasting? Are you going to be working as a coach? Are you going to be working as a, I don't know, a pitch curator? You know, what, how would you want to associate with that industry becomes very important, right? So that is where, uh, you know, even when you talk about gaming as an industry in general, you know, whether you want to be a game developer or an animation artist or, you know, a gamer or a content creator, there's a lot or literally, you know, start a platform, become an entrepreneur, you know, work in, uh, I don't know, broadcasting and production, uh, which revolves around gaming. So there are, or 
literally in the event space also today. So you that is it's very important that as a founder or an entrepreneur, if you're looking at a business, it's very important for you to decide which parameter of the industry you're going to take upon. I mean, you can't just generically be like, oh, I'm in the gaming industry, right? Like, like how you asked me, like, you know, what is the difference between working as a publisher versus working as a platform? Because there is, though both of us are in the gaming space, there's very different challenges, very different uh, business models that both, uh, both the segments work in. So that's, you know, that my suggestion would be very clear that decide on which subsect of the industry you want to kind of uh, fill the gap in and you see the most business potential. So we're also, op- uh, you know, operating in less than optimal times, right? I mean, the market has turned. Uh, we're heading into a recession of sorts. Uh, what are you do- doing differently during this slowdown? Uh, and, uh, you know, wh- what would be your advice to fellow entrepreneurs who are listening? Well, go back to the conventional route of business, right? Cash burning is not good. Revenues have to be a focus. Even in the gaming space, which which requires you to grow very fast, keep your costs under control. You know, it's very easy to, you know, spend on marketing left, right and center. And experimentation can be a part of it. Funds are not going to come easy. VCs are not just sitting there just to give money to you. They also are smart enough to know whether you're going somewhere or not. Being a startup founder and just securing or raising a capital capital is not the end of the journey, it's the starting of the journey. Right? So especially in these times, don't depend on you raising funds. Just make business models which are sustainable. And hopefully we all see it through in greens, you know, and uh, get out of the recession in, in a way which uh, which in turn, you know, boosts the economy in, in nowhere. Awesome. Um, so before we end the conversation, uh, any books or podcasts that you would recommend? Honestly, I'm not a big big reader on the books, uh, but uh, and podcasts. Most of the podcasts that I listen to are gaming podcasts. But uh, you know, I don't know if I should be promoting. But but the latest book that I read was Ashneer uh, Grover's The Club. Oh. and <laughs> I mean, a lot of things I could relate to. A lot of things I thought that this were nothing that though I suggest you should. I, I mean, being a different person, I thought that this is not something I would ever do. But uh, a worth read, it has a good entrepreneurial entertainment value to it. So, yeah, I mean, you know, it can, it can be a good read while you are just waiting for a flight. But uh, that's about it. <laughs> All right. Thanks so much uh, for joining us, Soham. This was uh, fascinating. Like I said, uh, you know, I had nothing, uh, no idea about the space as such, right? I've learned a little more uh, today thanks to you uh, and wish you all the best for everything that's uh, coming up. Thank you. Thank you so much, Roshan. It was a pleasure talking to you. If you enjoyed this podcast, consider subscribing and leaving a review on your favorite platform. Also get updates delivered straight to your WhatsApp inbox by clicking on the link in the description.